Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of Banker with a Beer presented by Northwestern Bank. Day in the room with us as always we have Jerry and we're joined today by Scott Hoffman of Wind Technology. How are you guys doing this afternoon? We're doing well Zach. Doing great. Great. Thanks Zach. Scott, thanks for joining us today. Kind of excited about this uh, presentation when I uh, reached out to Shaughnessy Murphy about possibly coming on the show. He said, well, would you rather talk with Scott? And I said, well, geez, would you want to join me in the show? He said, well, absolutely. He said, we'll have beer, won't you? And I said, we always have beer. And he said, I, I think we can talk Scott into this. So uh, because of that, uh, we're going to be having a Belgian IPA today. Uh, but before I get to that, let's hear a little bit about you. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for having me. Uh, excited to try this beer. But um, I'm originally from Milwaukee, born in Milwaukee and raised in Milwaukee. Uh, went to school at the uh, Milwaukee School of Engineering, MSOE, and uh, graduated uh, with a degree in electrical engineering. Um, that launched me into a career in the telecommunications industry, and it's been 35 years since. Uh, we've um, My wife and I Moved from Milwaukee to take another job in Wisconsin Rapids for about four years in the mid-90s in the industry. And then an opportunity to work in Eau Claire brought us to uh, the area in 1999 with this new company called Win, And um, it's been a great ride since. So let's begin. So uh, what does Win Technology do? Yeah, and that's a, that's a complicated question. And I say that because... Most of what happens in the telecommunication industry happens behind the scenes, and most people take it for granted. We've always taken for granted. You pick up a phone and you get dial tone, right? So we have a special place in the telecommunications industry today. We operate what's called a middle-mile fiber network. We are, in essence, the great connector, the great enabler of communities and businesses and cell towers and data centers across Wisconsin and across the Midwest. So in essence, over that fiber optic network, we will make big bandwidth available to businesses, to other telecommunication providers who might use that bandwidth, that internet, to provide internet services to their residential customers. Great. Well, before we go on any further, let's, let's enjoy our beer. So, cheers. Cheers. We're having a Hoblin Chauffe, if I get this right. It's an IPA from Belgium. Ooh, that's tasty. Well, it is nice. I have to say, I'm an IPA connoisseur, and I think this is the first time I've ever had a Belgium IPA. So, this is a treat. Well, it's, it's mirroring my, my love of Belgian beer with uh, your love of IPAs and. Um, I'm into hazy IPAs, but uh, this this one's not bad. No, not at all. Yeah, you can get the Belgian type of uh, flavor out of that. I'm going to have one more here. There you go, yeah. Well, the next, so how far is WIDS reach? I know you started in, in Eau Claire, uh, small fiber network, and where does WIN connect now? Yeah, when we started back in 1999, it was handed a almost ready fiber network that extended from Eau Claire up to Superior, through Duluth and back around through Minneapolis. So picture a ring and it's about 300 miles. And since that time, we have gradually conservatively grown that 300 mile network to, we're not exactly sure how big it is, but it's at least 10,000 to 12,000 miles across the Midwest of fiber optics. Wow. 
does fiber optics it degrade over time and pretty much once it's in the ground it's just it's good to go yeah and that's that's a great question and that's the beauty of fiber optics uh, much of the fiber optics that was originally installed I would say in the late in the 70s early 70s is still operational and still usable today um, so we don't exactly know what the lifespan is of fiber optics uh, what needs to change over time though is the electronics that you put on the fiber optics that enables the communications from one location to another over that fiber so the tube this is the same or basically the same from the 1970s to today yeah yeah the the technology has not changed that much uh, i think they've Im improved the ability of fiber to carry data for longer distances since then but essentially it's still that uh, that strand of uh, glass that's very clear and it's about the the size of a human hair that carries all of the internet that uh, we we use today well, everybody has a pandemic story, and in some ways, you must have had like a front row seat to the pandemic. Um, I'm, you know, everyone was at work, and within weeks, we were all at home. Uh, there was it must have been this massive shift in uh, web traffic from a residential user, from commercial users to home users. You must have seen just some really funky patterns on your network. Can you tell, walk me through that a little bit? Yeah, so when when COVID hit and we all went home in early March, we changed our patterns of usage on the internet, right? And we all became remote employees and we started to rely on bigger bandwidth technologies like video like we never did before. So we monitored uh, what was going on across our network. And we ourselves are a large internet service provider. We provide internet to hundreds of thousands of individuals every day. We saw the internet traffic grow nearly 40% within the first two or three months of COVID. And what's amazing to me, has been in the industry for a long time, is to see that level of bandwidth growth across a network in a short period of time and have the internet infrastructure, not only ours, but the internet infrastructure across the country, handle it without any out outages. I mean, think back, have you, did you, have you heard of any internet outages that took place during COVID? No, and, and that was gonna be my next question. I mean, when you had this surge of people and they, were, they went from, you know, uh, being on, you know, doing internet, and, and there might be an occasional Zoom call. Now you went to Zoom classes, and everything we was doing was on, you know, on video, and video just just chews through um, bandwidth. And you're right. I mean, other than, and we can talk about this a little later. You know, those who are kind of at the end of the line who had a, a poor internet connection, or or haven't helped them, but they had a dial-up connection. I mean, they were really struggling. But the system itself uh, seemed to handle it, at least from a user's perspective flawlessly yeah yeah there's a there's a core in internet structure routers computer systems fiber optic networks that are managed by large providers uh, middle mile providers like us cable tv providers that uh, interacts with it itself and we interact with each other hand off traffic and it went off without a blip and it's it's just amazing to me that we could pick up that much traffic within that short a period of time and, and everything continue to work 
your web uh, webinar platform, Paragon, was kind of a savior to many not-for-profits and schools and things. How did you, how were you able to roll this out? And I mean, I I saw I used it on the chamber. I used it, you know, with, with other community groups here. That all of a sudden, all the meetings were on Paragon. How did you make that available, and how did you roll that out, and what's the impact been on that? Did you know uh, Rick Olson, Ken Olson? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So met Rick uh, about seven, eight years ago. They operated a business called KRM, which was literally on the other side of the tracks from where we were at the time at Bamberg, Bamberg. Place. Yeah. And he was looking for an alternative for fiber optics, and he was looking at maybe uh, connecting into our data center. At some point within that discussion period, he decided that um, he was going to close up the business. But uh, we talked and he asked if we had an interest in this platform called Engage. They had one client called Harvard Business Review, probably heard of them, right? Mm -hmm. And what was really interesting to me is that uh, they really did a nice job for Harvard Business Review on managing um, webinars worldwide. They have thousands of people watch Michael Porter get interviewed by HBR's editorial team and um, be sponsored by you know big companies, and it worked well. So, talked to my board of directors after Rick said, "Would you be interested?" and um, and we brought it on board and um, enabled the team of two, Isaac and Neil, to grow the business or actually transform the business over a three-year period of time. And really what we're trying to do is transform the business from uh, a one-to-many type of heavily managed behind-the-scenes event business to one that could be a subscription service. So about the time that we're ready with the subscription service and it's ready for prime time, COVID hit. And we couldn't have been luckier. Right, because what happened when COVID hit, uh, everybody went virtual. And then we had this this hybrid platform, this virtual platform, I should say, that was recognized as being one of the leading platforms in the industry for quality audio and quality video. And, and it works seamlessly. I mean, it, it, some things, I mean, you on a, on a Zoom call or something, and you get, I don't know, 20, 40, 50, 80, at some point you get glitches of the whole thing. And this was like, boom, rock solid, day one. Um, it, it, it was a, it's a, a splendid service. Yeah, yeah. We were fortunate. We, we had a, a good platform that worked well. We did have our hiccups uh, last year at times, and um, we had some growing pains. But we've learned from those, and um, we're really excited. The platform is one that has really been embraced by the entertainment industry. It's amazing um, how it's being used for Emmy, Oscar interviews leading up to um, the process that they select the final candidates. Well, in, I might be wrong on this, but I saw a uh, webcast from the Pablo that they did for some events uh, for Gaelic Storm and opted into the service and I you know both the I, I like Irish music and I opted into it and and I believe the platform they used was Paragon yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and how did it look to you it was great yeah they and they actually had what was really neat about this is they had four musicians who were all in different parts of the country who were playing simultaneously and 
that to me is amazing when you think about you know how they were able to do this so you'd see on your screen you'd see all four musicians playing but yet the audio feed was one mixed and i mean with with literally no delay and i'm thinking that that's that's amazing that is just amazing yeah yeah um they had to shut down for quite a while unfortunately and at some point uh they started up the pablo streams they have a great advantage there at the uh, the pablo center and they've got an awesome crew of engineers they've got really good video equipment audio equipment obviously mm-hmm. And then we had the fiber optic network that went right into the Pablo Center and feed that into Paragon, and you've got quite a gorgeous and great-sounding uh, concert that is streaming over the Internet. You no, know, it was stunning. I know Jason John Anderson has sung your praises on many occasions, so it's oh, yeah. well, well, well done. We love working with them. Now, on the flip side, though, and this is, I guess, talking about the, the need for high-speed Internet on all levels and kind of this level of expectation. And we've gone from, you know, the internet, you know, being frankly a curiosity to something where now it's become kind of mandatory. And um, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but uh, about 18 months ago, there was two houses on the south side of Eau Claire that were roughly similar in age and square footage and whatever. The difference being is that one had access to high-speed internet and the other didn't, and they sold for a forty or fifty thousand dollars difference. The one having access obviously at a much higher price point. What role is Win taking of trying to roll out high-speed internet to as many people as they can, knowing that as you, you know, the houses get further and further apart and fiber isn't cheap, where you just have to say. I'm sorry. I mean, it only we can't build it out anymore, and, and frankly, make money. Yeah, yeah, and boy, that's certainly a huge topic nowadays, yeah. isn't it? I mean, you can hardly you can hardly read the news where they're not talking about uh, broadband and funding. Our role in this is to try to deliver broadband into areas, internet into areas where. They don't have the big pipes. We're not necessarily the entity that's going to take the internet into residential homes. In fact, we don't really do much for residential service. We work with businesses. Um, we work with hospitals and connect hospitals um, and their remote clinics. We connect uh, cell towers to their switches. Uh, so. What we're trying to do, though, is we're, we're trying to enter the dialogue and explain that there's, there's two roles that funding should think about. One is that last mile, and there's been a lot of talk about let's fund the last mile, let's get fiber into homes, mm-hmm. right? But the other part of the dialogue is we're talking about areas that just don't have any internet infrastructure at all, any broadband, any fiber. So it's like, it's like building a neighborhood in an area, but forgetting about the feeder roads and the county highways. So that's the role that we play, have played for 20 years across Wisconsin as we deliver into the western part of the state, into you know the rural telephone companies that own us. And uh, that's what we want to continue to do going forward. Can 5G, or I guess they're even playing that with 6G, can that um, act as a 
transitional piece or, or will that even replace fiber at some point if you can have that high a speed of uh, cell reception uh, in a rural setting? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good question. And there's, um, there's a lot of talk about the medium of delivery of internet into homes. And, and really you've got several choices. You've got, if you're lucky, well, if you're unlucky, you've got ca- uh, copper cable coming into homes. And that's what dial-up is and low-speed sp- low D- uh, DSL. If you're fortunate, you might have a really good cable TV provider or you have uh, fiber optics coming in. The cable TV can bring fiber optics in too, but the telephone companies might bring fiber optics in. Then you've got the wireless, right? You've got the entities that might put equipment on a nearby tower and do fixed wireless, or you've got the traditional cell phone companies, and we've seen them transition through 1G, you know, 3G, 4G, LTE, and now a lot of talk about 5G and maybe 6G. The medium that has unlimited bandwidth going forward, for the most part, is fiber. All the other mediums have challenges with spectrum. Yeah, wireless, the biggest challenge that wireless will have is the available spectrum that they can utilize to provide greater amounts of bandwidth into our homes. So when, when we talk about movement to 5G, I, I think what we're going to see and we are seeing out of the gates is that's only happening in the metropolitan areas. It's not going to happen in rural areas. And the biggest challenge that they have is not so much the technology, but the spectrum available. So when you don't have access to the spectrum that traditional telecommunication or cellular companies have used over time, 800 megahertz, that spectrum goes through walls, right, and goes a long way. When you start getting into the gigahertz, and they're talking 20, 30, 40 gigahertz, all of a sudden that frequency and that spectrum has really big problems penetrating pretty much anything that's in its way, and it only goes a short distance. So right now it looks like they're, they've been rolling it out with the higher spectrums in the cities and putting it on telephone poles or light poles and just going a short distance with 5G. So I don't see 5G at any point in the near future uh, rep- or providing the ultimate uh, alternative to fiber optics. That is the ultimate in my mind. Where is the internet speeds going? And um, right now I think about, about 100 uh, would be G megs coming down to your house is, is about kind of the standard in many cases, at least for if you have a cable or something like that. And for my purposes, it's full motion video. I mean, I, I don't know what I would do with a whole lot more. I mean, at one point that seemed to be kind of the holy grail, but are you, do you see the speeds going higher? And then when they do go higher, or the folks who choose to go higher, what are they doing with those speeds? Yeah, I wonder too. They're, they're streaming movies is what yeah. they're doing, right? Um, this has been an ongoing debate over the years within the FCC and the regulators is what is what is the right speed for um, broadband in the future? And about the time you pick the right speed, you think you have to pick the right speed, the world changes, and then it's not nearly enough, right? I can remember a time early in my career, or even before, where the Wisconsin Public Service Commission restricted the construction of fiber cables to 
to no more than eight fibers or something like that in a cable because they felt that the telephone companies were wasting money or, or whoever was constructing it, and they wouldn't fund it because you'd never need anything more than that in the world. And now today we've got, we got cables that uh, regularly are in pla uh, put in places, 192 fibers all the way up to 762. And I think there's even fiber optic cables in the thousands now of fibers that are put in, um, in cities. But um, to the speed question, the standard that was out there maybe five years ago and maybe still exists a bit today is uh, I think it's 25.3, which means 25 meg download to your home and then you can upload three meg. I think what I'm seeing now in the grants and the money that's being offered here in Wisconsin and, and by the FCC is they're starting to demand 100 meg and pretty soon one gig. You can do a lot with 25 meg I think you can hold Zoom with 25 meg, but um, I think the standard going forward is probably going to start getting towards uh, one gig. Do you know what you have at home? 100. You got 100? 100, yeah. Have you speed tested it? Uh, not. I used to. Not so much recently. I haven't had an issue with it. I actually have um, have Spectrum at home, and they actually yeah. seem to do a pretty decent job. Although I do find, in, in my, I'm not a a technical geek as far as internet speeds, but I know there are nodes that go in each neighborhood. And I do find out, so I also have a Sonos system at home. And what I'll find is if I ever have an issue, it's going to be in the evenings when everyone's coming home and watching Netflix. Yeah. And I'm sure, like, even though you might have a 100 meg download, if your neighborhood is drawing a ton or if this part of town is drawing a ton, you the, the pipe to your community is only so big. And once that starts to max out, regardless of what your pipe is to your home, you don't get any more. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, that is a shared Ethernet type of arrangement into the homes. And you're exactly right. You see it slow down, bog sure. down a little bit when, when people come home and, and do it. But, um, yeah, if, if individuals are wondering, well, what is my speed? It's pretty simple. Just go to a website called speedtest.net, and you can do a, a quick upload and download speed. I did that before I came here from the office, okay. from uh, Wind Technology um, on the south side. And we got a little bit of an advantage, but I'll make you feel bad. Um, we I tested at my desk 900 meg down and 900 meg up. Holy smokes. That, that up is crazy. <laughs> that up is, I, was, I was really surprised all this time. I never tried it. Like, holy cow, that is a lot. So I'm not sure what you need it for, but. We're talking with Scott Hoffman, the CEO of Wind Technologies here in Eau Claire, and we're enjoying a Hoffblund Chauffe, which is a Belgian IPA, so it's going down really, really well and enjoying our conversation. Um, Scott, though, we talked a little bit offline here, and you're from the Milwaukee area, as you mentioned. Uh, I couldn't imagine growing up and going to school and going to college that you thought you'd be running a data company in Eau Claire, but... If you weren't CEO of Wind Technologies, what else would you be doing now? Oh, boy. Gosh, I love soccer. Maybe I'd be a full-time soccer coach or something. Um, I don't know. You know, I've thought about how I got into this industry a lot of times, especially as I've gotten older. And um, life, is, life is fate because there was a point in time where uh, when I was in college, I was 
we were all encouraged to do summer internships. I send out all the resumes, and only one company responded. I couldn't believe it. You know, here they only have one company, but it was Wisconsin Bell. So I, I took the job, and two weeks after I took the job, I got a call from a robotics company. So old school telecommunications versus what all electrical engineers want to do, right? But I turned it down. I, I kept my commitment, and um, I joined the sleepy telephone company. But um, boy, I look back, and um, it has been an exciting career. I never would have envisioned that uh, telecommunications could be um, so so much of a career that you transition all the time and do so many different things. And we have changed so much of an as an industry. Speaking of that change, you keeping up with that change, you need great employees. Yeah. And have you been able to find people locally who can step up and meet those challenges and help grow in? Yeah, we, we've, we have. Um, early on, maybe five years into the business, we needed to hire a internet engineer. And we, we just couldn't find anybody. We couldn't find anybody in the area. We couldn't find anybody who wanted to move to the area. And that was a time before, you know, a lot of remote. But um, we decided, okay, we're going to have to just grow them in-house. And we, about that time, started a network management center, onboarded uh, young people out of CVTC. And we trained them on the business. They were great uh, network management center technicians. But so many of our employees now um, have grown out of that initial role and they now are our engineers and um, are serving you know, some of them are in paragon you know be, uh, behind the scenes taking care of uh, paragon customers uh, they're in our it services business so we have found that uh, we can hire locally we can train them into the industry and um, and a lot of them a lot of them will be promoted within the organization so i'm, I'm really excited how that has turned out over the years Another quick topic, and then we're getting close on time here, but uh, one thing we hear a lot about, and unfortunately you're not the cause, but you're part of the pipeline, is people that are dealing with, with hacking and other web intrusions. Um, what, if anything, is, is when in, in, involved in any way, shape, or form for this? What recommendations do you have for folks? Because, I mean, it's hard. A day doesn't go by or a week doesn't go by, whether it be Target or Kohl's or whomever is a hacking. Someone's going after your, your, your data. Uh, you provide, you know, folks access to the internet, but it, it, it goes both ways. What are things Wynn's doing and what recommendations do you have the people trying to protect themselves? Yeah. What you're talking about hasn't impacted your industry at all, has it? Oh, not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in terms of, yes, what we've got behind yeah. the scenes is mind-boggling because uh, our worst day is having someone saying that uh, Northwestern Bank was hacked, and that can never happen. Right, right. I think about it sometimes in the movie, The, the Bridge Over the River Kwai, when he's looking up and he said, my God, what have I done, Right. And I think back in the days where I was in Wisconsin Rapids and I was teaching people how to use the internet, and now here we are, it's become a, a medium of um, theft and um, just a lot of bad stuff going on. And 
it, it's it's a problem that I'm, I'm I'm happy to see the government finally stepping up to the plate and recognizing that it's bigger than businesses can solve. So all we can do is try to help people understand and train them how to how to take care of email, how to do two-factor authentication, and um, and just do the right things to protect your business. But um, it's going to be a growing problem. It's it's a tough issue. One last real quick question. Uh, so we're up here in the northern Wisconsin area, and I was always curious, when it's like 8 below outside or 15 below, does weather impact the Internet? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. Well, I should I should take that back. Much of our infrastructure is buried underground under the frost line, but some of the infrastructure is actually put on pole lines. And there are times where maybe water gets in the splice cases and freezes and expands. We have had some major issues, say, in the Madison area where that has happened. Um, so it, weather and cold weather can impact the places where the fiber connects for, you know, uh, from one line to another. But generally, the network um, manages through all that bad weather. Well, good to know. Well, this has been a delight. Uh, we've been talking with Scott Hoffman, the CEO of Wind Technologies, uh, and enjoying a wonderful IPA from Hofblau Chaffe, uh, a Belgian IPA. And uh, Zach, I think this is our last time we'll be, be working with you as well. Is that correct? That it, that it is. It is my last episode today, I believe. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's been a wonderful summer. Had a lot of interesting conversations. Well, excellent. We've been listening to Banker with the Beer from Northwestern Bank.